How are y'all this morning? Good? You look expectant? Like we're about to set the fire, set the world on fire up here, and maybe we will. Who knows? Uh, we have something different in store this morning. Um, someone asked me, are we still in the Sermon on the Mount? And the answer is no, but we're also not completely out of it either. Um, and so I'm going to take this clock and I'm going to put it over here, and that's good news for everybody involved. Um, so, uh, but we are uh, building off of what we've been learning out of Matthew 6 and kind of pulling out from that and going, okay, but we're about to enter into Lent. We're about to enter into a season that really the church fathers have designed to, to enter to, for us an invitation to be out in the desert with Jesus. And if we're going to willingly follow Jesus out into the desert where there is no provision for comfort, then we've got to get primed for that journey. And today is really that primer for what it looks like to forsake comfort, to forsake uh, uh, privilege and pleasure, to be prepared uh, truly for the pilgrimage to Good Friday, not just to Easter, but to Good Friday. And so we daily now, as we enter into Lent in this next week, um, we were going to have an Ash Wednesday gathering, which would be uh, this Wednesday, but the weather is going to prevent us from being able to do that. And so we will not be able to do that this week, but that's when Lent starts. So as we, as we enter into that season, how can we do that willingly uh, and do that with our eyes set on a Savior who willfully went out into the desert where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. So how do we do that well? And I want to just pull together a couple of different things. So if you remember what our journey has been like for the last several weeks through Matthew 6, you'll start to see that this is not a comfortable journey with Jesus. Instead, he says things like in Matthew 6, 1 uh, through, oh gosh, where is it? Uh, through through uh, 4, when you give, when you sacrifice, when you sacrifice financially, do it this way. When you pray, do it this way. When you fast, uh, something that is certainly uncomfortable for us, uh, do it this way. And then he ends when he says, you have one master, you can't serve two, it's either God or money, but you can't have it both Ways And so he's inviting us to a lifestyle of sacrifice, a lifestyle of, of, of somewhat uh, self-inflicted pain for a greater purpose. We will never be able to live that life if we don't have an understanding for suffering and pain and discipline along the way. So today is that, that bridge message from the gospel of the kingdom, the Sermon on the Mount, to all these things that, that Jesus truly expects his people to do, to now go, going, okay, and then next week we're going to spend five to six Sundays on do not, do not be anxious, do not worry. And as we do that, um, it's going to be a different time for us. Because that's the, that's the next section in the Sermon on the Mount. So the kind of life which flourishes in the kingdom. Remember, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. The gospel of the kingdom, that we would flourish there. The kind of life which flourishes in the kingdom, sacrifices, sacrifices financially, develops a lifestyle of prayer, and denies itself worldly pleasures, and does the things that are necessary with a single-minded eye fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith, this Jesus of Nazareth. 
Now, those of you that are in the room, uh, you kind of get this, uh, this uh, purpose to suffer a little bit for a greater pleasure. For those of you that couldn't be with us, you're online, we're grateful for that. But for those that, that, that showed up in the room, you knew it was going to be cold today. And you knew, and you had that temptation, I'd rather just sit by the fire. I'd rather just have my hot, hot uh, uh, you know, cup of coffee or hot cocoa or whatever it is. But the, the, the greater joy of fellowship, the greater joy of community, the greater joy of, yes, hearing kids cry and being distracted by maybe a little kid with an American flag on his head running around like crazy or other things that happen in the gathering are really beautiful. There's a joy in that that are certainly worth whatever sacrifices that comes by just simply uh, being here, right? So that's, that's really this idea that Jesus is inviting us into. And I'll say this, this is not optional, walking into suffering, walking uh, truly with some pain in life. We cannot read these passages that I just read out of Matthew 6 and all of a sudden just go, you know what, those are for the super Christians. The, the super Christians give, the super Christians fast, the super Christians pray. Certainly we wouldn't say that, especially not about prayer. This is not an optional portion of Scripture, but an invitation for all of us to truly take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. You see, if we are going to mature and learn to love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we must join God in the renewal of our souls, or as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work it out. Continue to, to, to work on your soul, entrusting yourself to the God who is at work within us. Now, we know this. We know that pain and suffering are a part of God's plan for us. I think we do, at least a part of this church, but we simply don't do it. We know that discipline is going to take some sacrifice. We know that giving will take sacrifice. Prayer will take fasting. All these things that are before us, that have been put before us, will take some sacrifice, and yet... Many times we kind of live with an aversion to these things, and I, I wonder why. And as I've thought about why, I don't think it's because we're lazy. I don't think it's uh, really uh, anything other than we, we're not misinformed. We know these things. It's not because we're lazy or idle. Uh, it's not even because we're distracted in a social media age. No, I believe that in this, uh, in this moment, we have an avoidance for a suffering and pain. We have an avoidance for difficult things. Um, uh, so I was talking to a trusted uh, counselor and mentor of mine, and I was asking him, like, hey, what are you seeing as he, as he sits with, with other church planters and pastors across the nation? What are you seeing them focus on? And he's like, man, we're just trying to, to focus on the comfort of the people right now. And I go, dude, we've been doing that for the last six months. What's next? Because I really feel like there is something special in this season that God has for us, especially as we enter into Lent, to, to really uh, put away those comforts that we've been holding on to for so long. That's what we're up against with Lent. That's what we're invited into with Lent. It is this invitation to realize that not all pain is bad. And you know this, like when your kid touches the hot stove, which... I hope they don't ever do, or they bump their head on the bar around your kitchen, which my kids did a lot. They bump their head, and there's a little bit of pain there to, to just, just remind them, if you keep on doing that, it's going to get worse. 
Not all pain is bad. When, when a woman gives birth to a baby, uh, that is an unbelievably unbearable pain that I'm, I'm grateful that I don't have to endure. Uh, but having witnessed it three times, I know that, that that pain, as difficult and as painful and as treacherous as it is and terrifying as it is, there is joy at the end of it. There's joy of new life. And that's what God's inviting us into. So my hope today is that we would reevaluate this role of suffering in the life of a believer. That we would make sense of suffering in the life of the follower of Jesus. It's not all going to be roses and rainbows and butterflies. No, instead, I think as we make sense of suffering, I want to put you four ways, put before you four ways, and then we're going to have a real-life illustration of this. I want to put before you four ways that we will suffer as believers. Are you ready? Here we go, in rapid-fire fashion before our real-life illustration comes up. Number one, the first way that we suffer as we believe believe and follow Jesus, and really this is a universal suffering, it comes straight out of Genesis 3 with Jesus the fall. Suffering number one is the fall. I want to read with you uh, just a little bit about, out of Genesis 3. If you don't know Genesis 3, it is known as the fall. Many scholars will tell you that out of all the passages in Scripture, this is the most impactful passage of Scripture on our entire world, and you'll see why. If we read the whole thing, what you would see is that Adam and Eve, everything that God created uh, in Genesis 1 and 2 was called very good by God. Adam and Eve were in, in the garden in paradise, perfect relationship with their creator, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with creation. And then Genesis 3 comes and it says, now the serpent was more crafty than all the other creatures. And he comes in and he produces seeds of doubt in Eve's mind. Did God really say not to eat of that tree? Do you know that God, if you do, he's holding out on you. He knows that you'll become like him if you eat of that tree. And what do we find? We find Eve taking a bite uh, of whatever fruit it was, handing it to her husband who was watching passively right next to her, and then they all of a sudden realize they're naked. And in their nakedness, they hide from God, they hide from one another, they start doing the blame game. It was this woman that you put here, Lord. I don't know if you know this, but you're actually the one responsible for this craziness. For all of this going south, you're actually the one uh, that's responsible, God. And it's this woman, and then the woman goes, is this true, Eve? And she says, yes, actually, though, it's actually this serpent that you also created and put here, and actually it's his fault. And then we read the curses. The curses of the fall. And this is a universal human experience for everyone that has ever walked the earth, including Adam and Eve. And this was what was spoken to them as a result of the fall. Let's look at uh, Genesis 3, verse 15. Genesis 3, 15, I'll read through 19. God now speaking uh, to Eve, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. No, I'm sorry, he's talking about the, to the serpent there, right? There's enmity between Satan and the woman. There's, there's between offspring, her offspring, and his offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. That's good news. That's fun. In pain, you shall bring forth children. See, that was not God's intent that it would be painful in the beginning. This is a a, a suffering that happened as a result of sin coming into the world. And your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. I don't want to get bogged down in that one. We'll continue to move on. Verse 17. 
And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat, it, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face uh, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." It's truly one of the most impactful passages in the Bible, also a bit depressing when you start to read through it, but it's also explanatory, isn't it? Because all of a sudden we can start to make sense of the world that we live in, that yes, though God created it as very good, this place is not as it it was intended to be. If you were to uh, read in the New Testament this explanation of the fall of this very universal experience in Romans 8, it says this, Romans 8, 20 through 22, it says this, for the creation was subjected to futility, that's to frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Are you seeing what all of creation is subject to? A bondage, a frustration of corruption, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There you see that image again. That there is a birth that is on its way. And it's been on its way since Genesis 3, but it's not here yet. Instead, we still, as part of creation, are subjected to that frustration, subjected to that bondage and that pain and that difficulty. Every inch of creation, every moment in history, every relationship that we have has been affected by the fall. And we feel this. When we got married, we told the whole world. We had a ceremony. We spent thousands of dollars to let everyone know around us that this is my person. This is my girl. This is my man. This is it. This is who I'm going to die for. And then you say, I do. And it's not a matter of weeks before you're at each other's throat. Right? That's what happens on this side of the fall. Because our relationships get sideways. We start to expect some things from another human that they were never intended to give. Relational sin started at the fall when they say, this woman uh, you put here. Not just relationships between people that you would inflict sin, that we would inflict sin upon one another, but also the, 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 the separation that we have with God. Like Adam and Eve, we hide from God, even accusing him of making our lives the way they are. We experience distance from him as a result. Our kids, it said right there that you will have uh, pain in childbirth, but all of child rearing has some pain, isn't it? These are your favorite people on the earth, and yet you lose your cool a lot more often than you'd like. Amen. You, you, You get a little angrier than you should at those that you love the most. This is all a product of the fall. For those of you that love to work in the world, for those of you that love spreadsheets and you got all the formulas in spreadsheets, it will never be efficient. It'll ne- your work will never be efficient. That is a result of the curse of the fall. He says, no, it used to bear fruit, now thorns and thistles. You'll still eat bread, but it'll be in pain. There will, be, there will never be enough uh, work for your boss. There, there will never be enough, enough productivity and efficiency in whatever industry that you're in. It is a product of the world that we live in. Because all of creation, lions eating zebras, hurricanes, tornadoes, ice storms, 
floods, yes, even pandemics are all a part of this result of a, of a, of a, of a world that is not the way it should be. And of course, our health. Our health is perhaps the greatest, if not our spiritual health, certainly our physical health, our health is one of the greatest uh, results of the fall that we will return to dust as a result of sin. Every illness, every pain, every snap, crackle, and pop that you hear when you kneel down or when you get up, every backache, every tear, every cancer, every pandemic, a result of this choice to take our lives into our own hands like Adam and Eve. We are affected in every way. This is suffering number one. All things are not as God intended. There will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be difficulty in this road no matter what we do. But that's not the end. Because there was a guy named Jesus who came. He was the great rescuer who came. And when he came, he said things like this to kind of uh, transition us into Suffering number two, he said, blessed are you who suffer on account of me. That suffering number two would be this, this idea that, yes, Christians, not just universal human experience of the fall, but Christians would be invited and yet blessed when we suffer persecution. You see, that's what it talks about in Matthew 5, 11, but also what we read or what the Ames read for us in 1 Peter chapter 4, Right? He says it right there in verses 12 through 14. I want to read it again. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Don't be surprised when things get hard. Don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes upon you, that there's a fire of discomfort, of pain. Don't be surprised when this happens, Christian. No, as though something strange were happening to you, verse 13, but rejoice. Rejoice as far as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He goes on to say this in 14 and then 16. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, see there's the persecution. If you're insulted on the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. In verse 16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We cannot live a life that is dedicated to the glory of God, that flourishes in the kingdom of God, and while at the same time avoiding persecution. Oh, suburban Christians, do we run towards this kind of pain? Even though we're not going to be foolish, right? Every time I go to India, I realize that um, there's been hundreds, if not thousands of people that have died in India as a result of them calling themselves Christians in the last decade. And every time I've ever gone, I've literally said goodbye to my wife and said, this could be it. We don't know anytime we go. We're not foolish when we're there. We're wise when we're there. But we're reminded of the stories that have happened over centuries, over millennia now. Reminded of those that have been in northern India, who have been persecuted, put in sacks and hung up and beaten over and over and over again, only to escape and spend weeks in the ICU to recover. And then when they go to their pastor to kind of try to figure out and and get their bearings on what's next, their pastor asks them, and they say, what are you going to do? And they're going, well, we're going right back to the people that beat us. Why? Why would you do that? That's foolish. That's silly. Because for them, for those true missionaries, for those true people that were headed out to to truly bring the gospel to those that were lost, that was far greater than any pain that could ever be inflicted upon them. Instead, they said, we have to go back, otherwise they will think we don't believe this at all. See, friends, over millennia, 
that the road to bring you the gospel is paved with the blood of the saints. The road to ensure that you have the doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. That's not irrelevant. See, that was brought to you by the blood of the saints over millennia. Not just in the persecutions of Rome, but the persecutions of the Reformation. And on and on. And they willingly, they were burned at the stake. And they watched their children while they were burning. Because they knew that if their kids, who were forced to watch this heinous act that was being acted upon them, their kids would watch these things and they would be forever changed. And that was far greater than whatever life they could cling to in the moment. You see, persecution is, is, is something that is normative in the life of a Christian, and yet we don't want to enter into conversations because they're awkward. Let us find the boldness. Let us find the courage. Let us find the power that is found by God's Spirit and dwelling in His people to enter into the awkward, into the unknown. And you know what? Give a person a hug during a pandemic so that they can realize the truth. That this isn't a fairy tale. This is something that true Christians believe and that the dying world is wondering if we actually believe it or if it's just something that we kind of do like a hobby on the weekend. No, we must lean into this type of persecution because Jesus calls us blessed. Peter calls us blessed. Paul would call it a gift in Philippians 1. And who better to tell us if it's a gift or if it's a blessing than those who were beheaded like Paul? Those who were crucified like Christ. Those who were crucified upside down like Peter. They know, they know the cost, and surely they tell us it is a blessing. It is a gift. It is something to lean into as believers in Christ. That's suffering number two. It certainly comes as a result of the fall. We would never have to die for our faith, whether it be uh, like relationally that you give up some things, or physically you may give up your life. That could be in your future, friends. Christians, in America today, do you see it? This could be in your future that you have to give up many things, many comforts in order to continue to say that Jesus is my king. That's before us. It could very well hit us in our lifetime. What will we do when that moment hits us? Suffering number one, the fall. Suffering number two, the persecution for the sake of of Jesus, that we would lay down our lives, not just for any little thing, but for the main thing, Jesus himself. Third, a discipline for sin. A discipline for sin. This is the most uncomfortable one, but yet one we must lean into as believers. Again, everyone is going to suffer this type, uh, endure this type of suffering. Look at what he says in verses 15, and then again 17 and 18. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. What's he saying? There is a suffering that will come as a result of sin. If we inflict sin on other people, pain on other people, or even on ourselves, uh, because we're made in the image of God, we truly will inflict, we, we, we will endure pain. We will endure discipline. We will endure suffering of some sort. Don't, he says, it's not really what you want to be doing. You don't want to suffer that kind of pain. Verse, 
now 17 and 18. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. A.K.A. there is a priority of the suffering for sin for the household of God that we must lean into. Let him not be ashamed, excuse me, uh, uh, 17, uh, that begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, this judgment is a good thing. It helps purify us. We'll get to that point. And then uh, that's truly what God is putting before us in this passage, right? That we would suffer discipline for sin. All suffering is a result of the sin of the, uh, 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 of the, of the fall, but it is a mistake to assume that your suffering is definitely a result of sin. It is a mistake to assume that your suffering is definitely a result of sin. Equally, equally, it is a mistake to assume that it's not. Because it could be a result of sin. That's exactly what this passage says. Some sufferings are a result of sin, and so we must get with the Lord and ask him, Lord, has there been something I've done out of step with the gospel? Search my heart. Although I am washed by the blood of the Lamb, I truly have a tendency to wander. Yes, and God, who is a God of justice, a God of love all at the same time, he will discipline us for our sin. There's a, a, an old guy that, that lived long ago, and I didn't put this in my notes, so just kind of listen to this quote. This is what he says about how God treats us in pain when he's disciplining us. Just listen to this. He says, strict as God seems to be in his dealings with us, he never inflicts any suffering solely just to give pain. He always has the purification of the soul in view. The severity of the operation is caused by the depth of the malady to be cured. What's the point? It's the same thing as the writer of the Hebrews, isn't it? That God would discipline us as sons and daughters. He says this in 12.8 of Hebrews, for if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be the subject of the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you, dear Christian. Do not be surprised when there is a, 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 a discipline for sin, a discomfort for sin, because God is loving you like a son or a daughter, and he's purifying in us something that doesn't belong to him anymore, and yet we're holding on to, he's going to burn that away from us. And if we're holding on to that thing as tight as we may want to hold on to them, it's just going to hurt longer. No, God is inviting us to this kind of suffering, a discipline for sin, and to which we can say, thank God. Thank our Father in heaven who knows my hearts that would discipline me, for I deserve far worse. I deserve the pain, the wrath, the judgment that Jesus got on the cross, and yet he took that on my behalf. And yet when I forget that, when I wander away from that deepest truth, then surely he's going to do whatever is necessary to bring me back. He loves me far too much. He loves you far too much to see you wandering and just be like, well, he'll figure it out. No, he, he would treat that person as an illegitimate son, but instead 
like a good shepherd, he chases us down, brings us back into the fold, and disciplines and corrects us as necessary. That's number three, that we would have a discipline for sin. And now, finally, in, in suffering number four, this is what brought me most joy this week, friends. I pray that you hear this in verse 19. Will you hear this today? Verse 19 of 1 Peter 4. Look at what it says. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. There is a suffering that comes for righteousness' sake. This is the suffering that comes when we pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. This is the suffering that comes when we deny ourselves pleasure. The kind of suffering that comes when we have set aside pleasure, comfort, control, convenience, power. We set aside getting our own way. We set aside free time and vacations. And we set aside the desire to keep up with the Joneses in suburbia. All this so that we can become the kind of person who thrives under the loving and merciful care of our Father who rewards those who do the hard thing the good thing, who suffer for the sake of denying ourselves to willfully follow Jesus, not just to Easter, we can't skip Good Friday, not just to Easter, but all the way to Jesus' death, that we would share in his sufferings. And that when we do, we do so with an eye on resurrection, for that's the thing that he promised us. We would take up our cross every day to follow him, because what does it say in verse 19? That there's a suffering according to God's will. That God would will us to suffer. That he would reign and rule and orchestrate it so that we would find our ultimate hope in him. That it does not happen outside of his desire for us. Because he disciplines us, like Hebrews said, for our good. That we may share in his holiness. And so he says, just entrust your souls to the one that may be inflicting suffering upon you according to his will, to the faithful creator, while you're doing good. So I've invited a friend of mine to come up and to help us understand what this looks like in real time. And of course, we know him as one John Hilliard. So he's going to come up and he's going to help us understand what this looks like with a little question-answer time. So, John, make your way up, my brother. Make sure this is on. There you go. I'm going to be over here. All right. So, not everybody knows who John is. So, How John. You doing? Oh, hey, there he is. That microphone works. That's what I'm talking about. All right, John, tell us who you are. Um, so that we have an understanding of, of that, and then tell us kind of what you've been going through for the last, say, five months. You mean my Grove experience? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. I'm John Hilliard. Uh, Lance and I kind of got together, and one of the two of the four that got together and decided to start the Grove. Yeah. Uh, of that, we kind of stripped this off, and now I am a deacon, so I'm supposed to be involved, but I've been out for a little while. That's who I am. Yeah. I think so, I used to greet everybody outside, but I don't know if I'm doing that job anymore. That's but. all right. Well, you did it today, uh, even in the cold, so we've got to love that. So um, so how has your life changed? What have you been going through since August, say, 23rd or so? Yes. Um, I've been diagnosed with a brain cancer 
called glioblastoma, and that's what I've been dealing with. That included surgery and process, radiation and chemotherapy. Um, all right, so you just said that like it's you went to the grocery store last Friday. Um, and yet when you lean over and you laugh, we all see the results of what you've been going through. And yet that scar tells a much bigger story. What's, what's been your life since, since that day for you? Been upside down, and I know that. For a guy that loves productivity and to work. Yes. Yeah. Um, that rules. Um, yeah, the hard part is it's the consistent uh, echoes and migraines. Y'all know that's two different things. As well as uh, nausea. Uh, uh, also, I, for the longest, I lost a vision. Um, was very bad, couldn't see anything. Um, uh, memory things, it's hard for me to remember. I actually have my notes here. I might have to reference through in a minute because I can't remember things. Uh, things about people's names or people I used to know or key words, stuff like that. Uh, Bible as well. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the things that really I remember when you were first being diagnosed and they were thinking about doing the emergency surgery on your brain on that Monday or not, is one of the things that freaked you out was that you couldn't remember, like, the Lord's Prayer. You couldn't remember Psalm 23. You couldn't remember, and then I, you said Ephesians 2. John 3.16. John 3.16, yeah, yeah. What a great testimony, though. I know that it freaked you out, but what a great testimony that that's the thing that you lost. And, um, and it was your faithfulness to the Lord that, that you were, uh, I'm, the one that, I'm not supposed to be crying. You're supposed to be crying. You're supposed to be crying. Uh, it was your faithfulness to the Lord that, that, like, when you felt like that was shifted, that was when you really started to panic. Yeah, that, that was really the first thing that hit me bad. I mean, it was like, I can't do it, and I, I cried very hard. Yeah. Uh, but then it became, hey, I've got, I've got to be more. I've got to minister to my family. I've got to minister to my friends. I've got to make sure everybody knows about the gospel. Uh, that was one thing. But it also was just, what is this about? And the first thing was, what can I learn? And one of the things is, as I talked many times with Lance, is I'm about rules, uh, right and wrong. And that's really how I address sin in my life. But bad thing is, I expected other people to follow these rules. I didn't listen about their, car, their, their feelings, their concerns. I would say, here's your answer. Do this rule. So it wasn't, I had basically one of the things I learned is I've got to listen to people. I've got to care about people. I've got to stop applying rules of my life and listen to what, how I can help or what can do. It's all about Jesus. Yeah, whenever I would call John or because I couldn't text with him anymore because he was blind. Um, and so I was calling him, we would, we would talk, I don't know, however often, and he'd be like, hey, I got to talk to this nurse today about Jesus. Um, like, that's, that's the kind of, so it would be really easy for you to have walked your, most of your adult life in faithfulness to the Lord, serving him as a deacon, even as uh, a pastor on staff before, um, even here, like, there's, you know, just faithfully serving him. If you guys know John, he's the guy in the parking lot. That's what you knew of John for the first six years of our church. Uh, that would greet you, that would help you bring in your stuff, that would come, you know, grab your, your, your baby carrier and, and do what you need to do. It would be easy for you to approach the Lord with, I've done all these things, and yet here I am afflicted. What's up? 
Have you been tempted with that thought? This is not a part of the script, but have you been tempted with that? Yeah. Have been scripted by... Have you been tempted by, like, the, I deserve better than this, Lord? I would be. I think early on. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, heal me. Uh, fix it. Uh, that was the hard part. Uh, so it really drove me to prayer versus anything else. But the thing is, when you're being treated by doctors and such, you come with expectation for them. And that became hard. The hard part for this was I have to quit trying to, uh, and my sons are probably listening to this, is even them, they have to, I end up taking care of myself. I want to take care of myself. But then with this disease and the situation I'm in where you can't see or can't do a lot of things, I had to stop. I had to rely on people, trust people to take care of me, my friends, my family. That was the hard part for me. Yeah. As someone who likes rules and as someone who is, um, you know, self-reliant, I would imagine that this has been pretty shocking for you. How do you feel like the Lord is forming your soul in all of this? Uh, wait. Off script again. Sorry, man. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I think he. It's it's really starting to rely on him. It's turning to him. See what he has planned. The bad thing is, this is a dangerous cancer, but it's really just saying if it's two years, if it's five years, or ten years, that same risk relies every day. I can I drive, where you can be in a car accident, or create another illness, such as COVID or something along those. But really, it's really, what is, my, what is my life today? It's really about glorifying Jesus, telling, helping to help others to understand how Jesus can help them. That's really what I feel like my responsibility is. Yeah. And that responsibility, I'm sure, is um, motivated even more now that, I mean, they've given you, you know, a short time to live as compared to what they would probably give me if I went to the same doctors. But I'm sure that's motivated you. What can we learn from your perspective that God's given you through all this? I think this disease is much like anything. You know, it's, you could have a bad COVID. You could have another thing, another problem with a co-worker, whatever. This world is very difficult to live in. It's fallen. The thing is that we have to, we often feel we've got to deal with this issue, and we try to fix it ourselves. And sometimes, even though you're a believer, you feel like, hey, Jesus has evolved. He's avoiding me. He's unavailable. I have to fix it myself. But really, he hasn't. He's there. He's there for you. And really, he wants to hear from you. He wants you to depend on him. So you may be living up to that. Or you maybe need to address the sin in your life first. He has not abandoned you. He's there for you. And he wants to see that. That you're there. And he may have a lesson for you. He may have addressed the sin for you. But your life can be addressed. It, it's, all those issues aren't going to go away. But how you need to address it will be. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you said in your notes, and I just want to bring this out. Yeah, that you felt like this is a gift for you, um, that this cancer has been a gift for you. Can you help us see that? Because I don't know that I'm your friend, and I love you, and I, I, I just candidly, I don't see it. Yeah. So help me see it. 
Okay, uh, well, when I started was diagnosed with this cancer. They told me my, la my laugh was 18 to 24 months. Uh, and went through the chemotherapy, went through the process, went to the thing, had the requirement is I get an MRI every two months. The first two months, it was, they still showed, hey, do you still show the cancer. When I had it done December, which is great, right before Christmas, I get a blessing that they do not see any cancer on my head. It's amazing. The doctor who's from a different country told me that your Jesus, my Jesus, has taken away your cancer. Mm. This is great. And yeah. I was amazed. <clears throat> well, to bring you an update, last week I had another MI. I still had no cancer. Yeah. So this is great news. We're still yeah. continuing this journey. Yeah. Still going through the process. Still going through the, the drugs to make sure I don't have this. But it's challenging. But it's great news that you have to work with. Yeah. Amen to that. So what, <clears throat> what are they saying now for your, your outcome? I mean, what's, you know, doctors will tell you one outcome. I think your outcome is way different than that and because you have your eyes set on Jesus. What are they saying for you now? They don't see anything, but... Yeah, it, it's, it depends on what they, which doctor you talk to. I have a period of talking to three different doctors. Uh, other says it's great news. Another one says that we have to see. It's still six months, and you still have to go through the process of getting an MRI for another six months after that uh, to see if this continues. So that, person, that doctor feels like it'll eventually be, I'll eventually get it back, but we don't know. I mean, I, don't, I know my Jesus has worked fabulous miracles. Let's wait and see. And hopefully, hopefully I can still uh, be here, still involved, still be able to involve with people, and also still remember your names. <laughs> we should probably wear name tags or, or remind ourselves, remind great. you of who yes. we are. <laughs> That'd be a good thing. Um, any lasting thoughts that you want to give to this local church that you helped start here today? This is great being here. Uh, it's, I mean, for the longest I watched it on online, live stream, but it cry, it makes me just tears every time with joy to hear the, this room full of angels just broadcast. It's amazing. It's amazing being here, amazing seeing you. I missed y'all. Uh, that's my message. Yeah, yeah. We miss you too. We're glad that you're able to come back when you can. And we know that your health is, you know, I texted you this morning. Hey, man, you good to go? Because I was like, I'm going to have to preach a sermon that's, you know, a little different than what I'm intending. So uh, with every day is yeah. a journey. I didn't, I didn't see your notes. So yeah. I, my, my part was clearly different from yours. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's all right. We got it all together, man. Um, all right. Well, I want to end our time. Uh, we're going to sing a song because that's the Bible says, and then they sang a, a hymn and then they, they went out. Uh, but I want to end our time just reminding us, like, um, suffering is, is hard. It's difficult. Um, but, I mean, like, this man who's suffering far greater than any of us in these days right now um, has, has reminded us that it can be a gift, and it is a gift for him. Um, because we have a different perspective than whatever a doctor can tell us. But ultimately, it reminds us of the greatest suffering that was ever endured. Uh, was when Jesus died for us. Um, the greatest injustice that ever uh, was imparted on another person was when Jesus endured the cross. And when he did so, he took the full judgment 
of God, the full wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. That is unjust suffering. And if it has not spared God's one and only beloved son, it will not be spared of us. And so though there would be an easy for me to to be like, I've done all these things, Lord. It's unjust that I'm suffering this way. Even if that's the case, which it's not, even if that's the case, if Jesus has endured certain things, we certainly will as well. So this would kind of sound like the greatest, or the, the, kind of the, the, the wool being pulled over our eyes, some cruel plan, if not for that main reality, that Jesus has suffered far greater than we ever will, that the God of creation came to earth and was subjected to the same frustration and futility that we all were, and yet was without sin, paying the ultimate price for our truly deserved sin in and of itself. He became subject to this futility, and when he made peace, he made peace for us in our hearts, but more importantly, with our Father. And so I just wanted to put that before us, that suffering can be a heavy, heavy topic, one that we want to avoid, really. We, we spend thousands of dollars a year to avoid pain and suffering through entertainment and through vacation and through leisure, but there is a gift in understanding God's will in all these things. So let me pray for us, and the band's going to come up and sing a hymn, and then we're going to be sent out of here. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for disciplining us like sons and daughters. Thank you for my friend John, who throughout this entire process has only called me to tell me I got to share the gospel today with someone, with a nurse or a doctor or a tech. I got to share Jesus, my hope with Jesus, and they're all amazed at how good Jesus is in my life. Lord, may we sing the same song with far less certainty of our, of our lives, with far less um, difficulty in our current circumstances. Lord, remind us that you're near us, that you're with us, and those things remain true, but you're also for us. That your posture isn't to destroy us or kill us, but it's to refine us, that we might share in your holiness. So, Father, Remind us of these things by your spirit and um, remind us of your goodness as we sing and as we eventually depart. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.